0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by myself, Dak, and my brother, Tyler. Hey, Ty, how you doing?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Good, dude. Uh, just been traveling a lot this week, so I'm a little sniffly. It's humid as hell in California, but I got no complaints. What do you got going on this week?
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm back to school, got uh, work again, and I'm practicing for the AFOQT. That's the Air Force Officer Qualification Test that I'm going to be taking in February. So uh, pretty much just getting ready for that and getting back to school. How about you?
0: Uh, I'm in California on work uh, for the Air Force, obviously. Uh, Yes, I'm just hanging out on the beach. Just got back from a beach run. Uh, It's definitely different than... It's a far different climate than New Mexico, so I'm um, getting adjusted to that. I'm a little sniffly, all that good stuff, being on a plane, uh, get all the sickness from there. But, yeah, that, that's exciting stuff, the AFOQT, especially uh, we got an upcoming episode. It'll probably be four or five talking about should I join the military? Um, and speaking about agendas for episodes, today's episode is going to be far less MMA specific. Um, not that you should tune out if you're an MMA guy, but this is going to talk today. I want to talk about uh, one, the the casual topic, right, is how California gets a bad rap. And then two, you and I are going to jump into leadership, right?
1: Yeah, just kind of a rundown of the basics of uh, our foundations for leadership and the experiences that we've had uh, coming from two completely different worlds and our viewpoints on leadership as a whole.
0: Yeah, dude. Um, so, first off, California. California uh, I don't have you been to California outside of that one time you came with me?
1: I actually have not been to California besides the time that we drove. Uh, so, I flew out to Vegas uh, for two weeks and then Dakota and I drove out to California. So, that's the only time that I've been there.
0: Yeah, man. Middle. So we talk a lot about at least and when I say we I refer to society. Right. We talk a lot about middle America and middle America, this middle America, that she's the fruit of the nation. Um, I like to think of middle California. So you have like and I don't want to get too partisan. Right. At all. Partisan, really, honestly, political. But you have uh, the California that's represented on the news and uh on social media the um hyper aggressive but it's a nuance on aggressive like the hyper in your face the uh super judgmental california and then you have the actual california dude and so real california is just normal people a lot of the population here is made up of guys who moved here guys and gals who moved here uh so like just getting out it, by far it's my favorite state and <clears throat> so traveling here with a bunch of military guys everyone, of course you have the guys that are like, man Californian taxes, blah blah blah, Dude, they compensate you pretty well? They take about a quarter of your yearly salary uh, but once you get past the taxes which you're compensated well for, you make you make roughly this is arbitrary numbers. I would guess you make 30% more and you pay 25% in taxes. But once you get past the heavy taxes that take a real chunk of your, of your change, if you will, um, it's not a bad place to be. Dude, there's no, there's not even AC in my hotel right now.
1: Wow. Yeah. And it's just that nice there, the climate, right?
0: Yeah. There's literally a sign in my room. It says, uh, Hey, you know, occupant, I think is the word it uses. Uh, hey, occupant, there is no AC in this room due to the fact that it is never hotter. It, it never gets warmer than seventy-eight degrees where I'm at. So wow, um, and, and I think the coldest it gets is fifty degrees. So uh, that's why land's so expensive. The climate here is amazing, but yeah, the, the people get a bad rep. So I got to throw a little shout out to California and and how um, this Appalachian man i visited here uh frequently to various parts of california i fell in love with the state so much so that i'm moving to la uh i think we talked about it briefly in episode one um on where we're making our moves to in 2019 there at the tail end of the episode but yeah i <clears throat> fell in love with it so much so that i'm moving out here in uh september so
1: let me take you back a little bit for everybody who's listening. So when you refer to middle America, you mean geographically, correct?
0: Um, I'm thinking more socioeconomic.
1: Okay. Okay. So are, are you referring to the middle class or are you referring to like? Yeah. Yeah. The okay. middle class.
0: Well, not, not, you know, that's hard because I don't even mean, I mean, on, on two metrics, I mean, demographic and socioeconomic. So Middle America is, I'm talking your average family. Your average family isn't, I hate these words, dude. I, I fucking hate these words, but I'll use them um, because it it calls for it right now. Um, middle America isn't hyper liberal and they're not hyper conservative, right? And again, not going partisan or anything like that, right? But Middle America is just normal people trying to put food on the table. That's my experience in California.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you meant by that. And um, just wanted yeah, to man. clarify for everyone. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. Like you said, like, I mean, you meet the people who are the backbone of the United States, the working people um, they really don't have time or care to concern themselves with all of these things. So that's refreshing to hear that in a bigger place like california as a whole
0: yeah to a, uh today or yesterday rather we went to this grill and they were playing luke ryan and i'm like whoa man California's really getting after it with some <laughs> some uh, it's a uh, nuanced country music but um yeah man the people here like you have such a diverse it's it's california is a positive representation of america and now if you listen to the news any pick your poison right Pick your poison. If you want to go to any news, like mainstream media website, you're going to see a piss poor representation of what California is. Um, but you you come out here, man. Uh, today I had some of the best sushi. Like if you come to the Atlantic or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I misspoke the Pacific. Um, if you come to the Pacific, you're getting some of the best sushi. So we went to this, uh, this sushi place today, had some of that. Like last night we went to a uh, – a karaoke bar, and, you know, it's it's similar to being, uh, you know, I've traveled the entirety of the United States. If you go to a karaoke bar in Iowa, in Elkhorn, Iowa, for example, a town of like 500 people, they have a beautiful festival every, every year called Tivoli, and I went there for Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. It was like you're in a bar in Iowa, and, you know, West Virginia, Florida, Texas – if you go to any karaoke bar uh, and, and you are in a place where middle America is represented, not middle America being, you know, the Midwest, again, on those two metrics, the demographic and the socioeconomic, um, it, it's like it, it's kind of like a positive reassurance of where you're at. But I, I love this place, dude. Some of the best beer in the world, uh, some of the best food. Um, yeah but I had had to do
1: let's be, uh, let's be a little more specific though. Um, what city or region or area are you in? Are you in Southern California, Northern California? Um, whereabouts are you in California? Because as everyone knows, like California is a large state and it differs from place to place. Uh, so I think it'd be good to give them an idea of where you're at.
0: Okay. Uh, fair enough. So, when I speak of California, I'm not just speaking about this trip. I'll be for the next uh, two or three episodes. This one included. I'll be shooting from this hotel room or recording from this hotel room rather. And um, so right now I'm referring to central California. Uh, I'm near. I, I'm actually near a small Danish town called Soldang Solvang. Maybe um, the name escaped to me, but it's along those lines. Uh, but he, when I speak about California, I'm not just speaking of here. I'm talking San Diego, L.A., uh, Redding, so Northern California, Central California. Um, that's what I'm speaking to. So when it, it comes from a place in my heart, that speaks of the entirety of California, but specifically now, I'm I'm speaking of Solvang uh, or near Solvang, California. Uh, but yeah, man, and there's uh you can get everything you want here you can go to comedy clubs concerts of any sort you can go to uh what's the EDM you can go to EDM country uh rap concerts all that in the same city which is mind blowing uh not to mention san diego is my favorite city of all time the uh the so california hosts 25% a full quarter of the United States homeless population. And I didn't see a single homeless individual while I was in San Diego. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. In LA, in LA, uh, they actually have something called Skid Row, which is, it's a homeless camp basically. And you see, I might exaggerate a little bit, but that's fine. Um, You see like a thousand tents, with homeless individuals just occupying a whole street. It's called Skid Row is the uh, slang term for it.
1: Yeah, the two places I've been that uh, sound similar to that, New Orleans and Miami, downtown. So New Orleans, like every underpass you go by, it's heavily populated with homeless people. Uh, In Miami, down by the beach, there's a ton of homeless people. So, And and I've actually heard that too about like around LA. So I've heard that a lot.
0: You know, the crazy thing about uh, California having a full quarter of America's homeless homeless population, that counts individuals that have jobs. That counts uh, humans that have jobs but live in their car. Uh, Because if you're – so the crazy thing about cities like San Diego and L.A. is if you make – if you take a six-figure job there, man – you're not making that much money. If you make $150,000, you're basically middle class in those areas. So um, not knocking the California for housing so many homeless individuals, certainly not knocking them because the numbers take into account the guys that have uh, jobs, they, they work, they're just living in their cars.
1: Yeah, this whole uh, tiny house revolution and people living out of their cars. Like I've watched some YouTube videos of people who are living entirely out of their cars. And uh, I've talked about with my friends, like taking road trips like that and just showering at like a truck stop or like uh, a Planet Fitness or Anytime Fitness. Because whenever I was staying in Houston, Texas for work, I pretty much used the Anytime Fitness for everything. I showered out of the Anytime Fitness. Uh, of course, I had a hotel, but we were working long hours, so I'd get there late at night. You could pretty much do everything that you needed to do out of those. So there are people that are doing instructional videos on YouTube on how to live out of your car, which is interesting to me how far people go with the whole frugal thing. But, hey, I mean, they're getting after it. They're saving money, so that's pretty, pretty
0: Dude, cool. if you don't have a family, it's kind of the way to go because the living is so cheap if you do it that way because – No matter where you go, if you're getting a nice townhouse, even in like, uh, you know, I don't want to say crappy. Fuck it. I'll say crappy. If you're living in a crappy part of the United States, a decent townhouse in an all right place is going to cost you like 900 bucks. Out here, it's going to cost you like fucking $3,000 for a decent townhouse, 900 square feet. Like, and that's if you have a family. So if you're not. If you don't have a family and you're living out of a out of a van, right? That's just your place of sleep and you're on the grind. I don't see an issue with it, especially if you're on the grind out of your van, like you suck up Taco Bell's Wi-Fi, easy money right there. You're showering at anytime fitness or planet fitness or you know, XYZ fitness, whatever. Uh, pick your poison, right? Or truck stops. Dude, you do that, you're making so much money. That's investment capital. That's uh, capital put in your uh, if you're an entrepreneur, that's a capital to put into your business, uh, which is kind of exciting about the the exciting thing about the military. I don't want to steal too much from our future episodes, but uh, the military actually gives you a stipend that pays for your house. So people read online that, you know, you're going to make X amount of money that does not take into account the housing stipend. So what the military does is they assess. So guys uh, in California. They assess how much a cost of living is for an upper middle class area, and they pay you that much extra a month. So here, I think they get like thirty-five hundred grand, or thirty-five (laughs) hundred. Jesus, they get like thirty-five hundred bucks just to pay for housing. So, uh, and they give you a food stipend. But yeah, if you're if you're on your grind, I don't see anything wrong with it, especially if you're young man.
1: I mean, I'm not gonna criticize anyone, but that's next level frugality. That is definitely on. That, that's abandoning humanity, leaving humanity behind that is uh, having a, what would be called a lean life. As a Dude, whole is it leaving...
0: Here's my question for you. Is it leaving humanity behind or is it leaving modern humanity behind and assuming the role of what humanity was for the greater part of 299,000 years?
1: So this is the common debate between people who are managing a frugal lifestyle and saving their money hardcore, which I've been there and I've done that. And then the people who are indulging in modern conveniences. And to me, it's, it's, there's no right or wrong way to do it. I think that there's a good balance that you can strike between living in your car and uh, having a house that you can't afford. I think that there is a perfect balance that you can strike between that In being realistic with your expectations, not living beyond your means, and sticking to the steady principle of saving 10% of what you make. Um, To me, it's a little bit too extreme because I've been a penny pincher. I've been a tight ass, uh, however you want to spin it. And I've saved a lot of money like that. And I finance doing things that other people couldn't do, like a lot of the traveling that I've been fortunate enough to do in college, most college students do not leave the town, that they're stuck in, they're immobilized, things like that. So I've had a lot of good opportunities. And when opportunities present themselves, I have the funds to capitalize on those opportunities because, like most, most people don't realize, you need money to do almost everything in life. So say I have a job interview in Charlotte. Most people, uh, don't want to generalize everyone here, but like most college students aren't even going to have – enough money to ride down to Charlotte, get a hotel room, have the gas money, things like that. That's just a kind of an example, but you know, to me there's a balance between living in your car, but Hey, if you want to do that, you got to do whatever you got to do to make ends meet, you know?
0: I think it's priorities really like if you prioritize the ability to do that, to take that trip to, to fucking, cause I remember when I had just came back from Afghanistan And I was in New Mexico and the day I was coming back to work, they're like, hey, dude, you want to go to Vegas for two weeks Um, or actually I was there for a month. Yeah. You want to go to Vegas for a month uh, for some training? And I said, yeah, you kid me. I got all this deployment money. Let me just waste all of it. Um, You hopped on that plane so quick and stayed for two weeks with me. So I think if you prioritize the the ability to do that, it's pretty easy. But if your priorities are set somewhere else, if your priorities are set towards, okay, I want the ability to buy fancy liquor, not even, man, like just liquor in general is uh, relatively expensive. And if you're spending $60 a night at the bar, dude, that adds up super quick. So if if that's your priority, then dude, that's your priority. You're going to spend a couple hundred bucks a month, a couple thousand dollars a year, just on partying, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. We've all lived through that phase. Um, and I, I don't want to say that's a phase. We've all lived that lifestyle, but if that's your priority, that's your priority. You got to realize that you're not going to be able to just fly to Vegas whenever you want. You're not going to be able to fly to or to drop down to Charlotte whenever you want. So I think it boils down to priorities.
1: So here, here's the interesting thing about that. So, The discussion we had on the phone the other day about, you know, discipline equals freedom, like discipline will free you from uh, all other things. Financially, discipline is freedom. That is absolutely true, 100 percent. And like I said, you do not have to go to the extremes. Saving 10 percent of your income yearly will add up to the point to where you have a flexible bank account. You have six months worth of bills saved up for your emergency fund. And then you just keep adding into that savings fund. And then that discipline that I had to save my money throughout college. So it wasn't that I had to miss out on going out with everyone, you know, maybe from times that time to time I stuck to my budget with my groceries and I had to turn down like going out to eat or something like that. That's the discipline that it requires to do these things. And those same behaviors that I've developed while I'm here in college with not an insanely high income. Once I do have that income, it's going to carry over to a carefree lifestyle for the rest of my life. You know, it's, it's going to carry over to, uh, you know, after a few years of saving, like I'm not only jumping on a plane to Vegas and staying for two weeks and taking off of work uh, and keeping it all good there. I'm going and I'm buying a car, whichever car I want. And, that's what people don't understand is those things require discipline and just like every other craft it requires attention and uh, hard work every day
0: yeah i think a lot of those values you have have come from um something that we're going to talk about and in, in a, we're going to dedicate a whole nother episode to this um but transcending your uh socioeconomic class which is something that uh, our mother did And we followed suit in doing Uh, she took amazing steps towards transcending her childhood, which um, we won't get too deep in on on this one. The transcendence of socioeconomic class, uh, the realizing of potential Uh, you can get caged in. That's that's a weird thing, too, about traveling is (laughs) so I was thinking about this the other day. And um, when you hear someone is from Louisiana, you think crawfish. When you hear someone's from Georgia, you think about the Bulldogs, right? Tennessee, you're like, wow, Nashville's beautiful. When you hear someone is from West Virginia, you think you start, you know, there's always the joke every time there's the dipshit in the room that is like, oh, so when did you sleep with your sister? And (laughs) so, like, I, I don't know what you would call that because it's not a boundary that's set on you by society. It kind of is, but I think it's a shared responsibility. And both of us being from coal country, Southern West Virginia, um, I think that transcending the barriers that people will put around you and getting past, showing value past that joke that's made because that joke can set the tone for your entire presence, wherever you are, whether it's a job, whether it's a, a vacation, whatever it is, if you allow that to be the tone um, and you don't have to be aggressive, you just show it um, through making timely and educated comments through um, basically being a good human being, being good at whatever you do, putting in the work, prioritizing excellence, right, and prioritizing fun as well. Uh, But it's something weird that people from places like West Virginia, You kind of have to transcend that as well. And you see a lot of guys that leave and come back were not able, not that coming back is a failure, but they just weren't able to transcend the barriers that were um, put on them, maybe by society, but often by themselves.
1: So, yeah, that's an interesting topic. So the book that I'm reading, reading right now, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, He talks a lot about the limitations that you impose on yourself and exactly as you just said, it is our responsibility as humans to transcend ourselves, like not only our socioeconomic class, but like if you've had parents who are decent human beings, not even that, if you have been gifted with life, it is your responsibility to move forward in some way and use discipline as the catalyst to move you forward. And a lot of people fail to realize their own potential because they aren't willing to be disciplined. And just like you said, it may be their own insecurities. It may be their own limitations. And to me, that's because they've never faced discipline and they've never faced tragedy in some way. Like they've never had to come face to face with themselves and look at themselves realistically. Uh, And discipline, like I said, can be the catalyst to that you go and you push yourself in your next workout. So just an example here, you're used to running one mile a day and you go out one day and you have your sights set on running five miles and you run three. You've just tripled what you believed you could do every single day and that belief will carry over with you. These things have carry over. It's momentum. That power is going to follow you into your next day and instead of at work, let's say that you file papers for a living and you typically file a hundred papers a day, you're going to aim to file 500 and file 300. Then you're a more efficient person. And like I said, these things have carryover and it all stems back to people's insecurities and self-limitation. Yeah.
0: I think a valuable, something that's carried me as far as it's carried me. um, And something that I see uh, at least within the half a decade that I've been in the military Uh, Something that's carried a lot of really successful guys, such as David Goggins, who uh, he was in the Air Force for a short time. Uh, I say short time. That's relative to his entire career. He was in the Air Force for four years, I believe. He was a tactical aircraft uh, control party member, basically a joint terminal aircraft controller. He went behind enemy lines and called in airstrikes uh, from air assets. Uh, then David Goggins got out. He was a shake-shack extraordinaire. He loved to explore their menu. He ballooned up to around 300 pounds, if I'm correct. And he, so you know, let me preface this with to be a, to be part of a, a joint terminal aircraft controller team, you have to be hyper-physically fit. It is battlefield airmen is what we would call it in the Air Force, but in a broader term, it would be uh, – Special Operations Forces. Uh, A lot of people think Special Forces, that is very specific to one branch. That's the Army's Special Forces. Um, SOF, or Special Operations Forces, applies to all uh, Special Operations assets, right? And when I say assets, I mean uh, humans, I mean uh, weapons, Aircraft all that stuff, right? So soft applies to enablers which are guys that so aircrew special operations aircrew And then you have the operators themselves. So David he spent uh, four years as an Air Force operator And then he got fat and was like, you know what? I'm gonna be a Navy SEAL And he went out and did it and the way he did it and and the way I see a lot of guys succeeding uh, Within not only the soft community, but the military as a as a broader spectrum is They apply a, there's no other option. I'm either going to run those five miles or I'm going to die. Yeah. And if you get, they they get to three miles and they say, okay, I'm at three miles. I feel like I'm going to die. Either I'm going to die at 4.6 or I'm going to make five miles. So uh, again, it's prioritizing uh, the greater objective over self. And uh, that gets a little deeper, but.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely it. deeper. And uh, that was a pretty good breakdown of Daga, David Goggins and his experience uh, with the military. You know, you could sit, we could sit here and talk about David Goggins probably for two or three hours, just talking about his story and all the things that he's been through. Uh, but yeah, the guy was 297 pounds. And the key to getting started so he had three months to lose 110 pounds because he had to weigh 190 pounds. So to get to 187, he had to lose 110 pounds. So he would go out, and on the first day, he was a pretty fit guy before, so he's like, all right, I'm going to run a mile. Got a quarter of a mile through. Quit. Okay. Came back the next day. Tried it again. Couldn't make it. Out of breath. Gassed. Wheezing. The next day, he did it. And that's the biggest problem that people have is taking that first step. And some people can push themselves into that first step, But I know from a leadership perspective, some people have to be thrown into the water. And, you know, a lot of people don't like the idea of pushing people into that. And, you know, myself, one of my biggest faults is expecting that other people will have the same mindset as me. And, you know, like, like for me, I'm not perfect every day, but whenever I'm getting after it, I I expect more out of myself. You know, like I might hit a PR and I'm like not good enough. All right. Where, where am I at next? Where's my next goal? Some people are just okay with getting out of bed in the morning and putting their clothes on and going to their job and just making ends meet. But uh, you know, like we said, like that's not the discipline lifestyle. That's going to free you from yourself and your own insecurities. So pushing people into that first step, I really wanted to ask you about that. How do you from a leadership perspective, <clears throat> motivate someone to get after it if they don't have that mindset. And I don't want to classify these people as being weak, but, you know, uh, for me, I, I often encounter people whom I feel are softer individuals than likely than the kind of people that you're leading. So for me, learning the dynamic and how to get them to take that first step, whether it be physically or mentally can be challenging sometimes. So I'm curious to know what do you do to get people to take that first step?
0: That is a hard question. That is something that I think every leader asks themselves. Um, And oftentimes I find myself asking that question to guys that I uh, serve with. And the biggest – one of the biggest and most difficult things for me to do is – Forgive past transgressions. Um, there's the the best lesson that I learned, and this was a lesson learned not in a classroom, but a lesson learned uh, actively in leadership was forgive the past transgressions. And I don't care where my guys are or, or n- not that. I, I don't care what they did. I care about what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah you know, in the military, you're often leading. So I've been in for, you know, going on six years now. I, I was in since I was 18 years old, you know, a wild out Appalachian who really didn't know his asshole from the hole in the ground. And uh, the biggest lesson that I've learned now being 23 and having uh, a, a really a, a massive amount of experience, I think now relatively to most guys, It wouldn't be a lot, but uh, true operational leadership um, is forgive the transgression, the transgressions your troops have had or or the individuals your followers have had uh, prior to being under your command or under your foresight or under your management, right? Because I don't care what they did. I care about what they're doing. Uh, The second part to that, if once you've noted that, OK, cool. I don't care where you've been because David Goggins, to go back to him, he was 300 pounds. If he was judged based off of the 300 pounds, fat, out of shape, shake shack, eaten every night, bug exterminating David, David Goggins that he was, he would never be who he is today. So I like to give my guys a chance to grow. The second part uh, to that is you have to establish a standard. You have to. So what I do with every new troop that I get, uh, I sit them down. Now, it, we have a procedure in the Air Force, which is uh, we give them an, an initial assessment where you as the leader, you as the uh, so myself being a staff sergeant, I sit down my troops, my young airmen, and I set the standard. What do I expect? Because not all airmen, which is what we call the troops in uh, the Air Force, not all airmen are graded to the same criteria. Every leader, every sergeant, every non-commissioned officer, every officer, they grade to their own criteria and they rate their troops according to how they've met their standards. So I cover four topics. Um, And, and the four things, so I cover the standard military stuff, you know, be presentable, be professional, know what you're doing, all that good stuff, customs, courtesies, but the real meat and potatoes of what I get into and why I think, um, I've been able to breed effective followers as I cover four things. We've talked about it briefly already. The first one I cover is discipline equals freedom. Now, I go a little non-military when when I give my troops these conversations, right? I give these troops, when I set the standards, I get a little crass. And I talk about discipline equals freedom. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it's a great... It's a great phrase. It's got some market value right there in its face, like it's inherent. So I break it down along three metrics. I talk about financial freedom, I talk about physical freedom, and I talk about professional freedom. Uh, The financial freedom is what I like to call fuck you money. If you want to have fuck you money, you have to have discipline, right? So you need to be disciplined enough in your finances so that. If you want to buy that new computer, you can just buy it. It's no issue. That's fuck you freedom financially. If you want to buy that new rifle, cool, buy it. You've had discipline. Uh, the next metric I give them is have fuck you freedom when it comes to your physicality. So stay fit. Be able to. Um, so Tim Kennedy, uh, a well-known guy, UFC fighter, uh, special forces sniper, um, ranger qualified as well. So he's a ranger qualified Green Beret sniper. Uh, he says, uh, "Train harder than the man who's trying to train to kill you," which I take a little bit of that, a little bit of that, and and I apply it to my leadership. So basically, like, have the discipline to run those three miles, you know, three times a week, and do X number of push-ups, so well, that when when it comes to Saturday and you want that cheesecake, you want that beer drink the fucking beer. Why? Because you put in the work, you had the discipline.
1: Let's, let's, let's apply that to, so as you're breaking these down, I I just want to kind of interject and give my two cents and kind of give a practical application to those out there who aren't going to be applying uh, the exact procedures that you are. So, some of the some of the things that you're discussing here, so like the discipline equals freedom, uh, the fuck you money, fuck you fitness, all this stuff, it, it, it's all going on in in the civilian world as well. So, the uh, the way that I look at it though, is you you kind of have to be careful here with with these these leadership procedures. Because what I'm seeing in the workplace and a couple of different places that I've worked in, almost everywhere that I've worked, actually, they have these things called, like, improvement plans, right? So for underperformers, they have improvement plans. And uh, I'd imagine that if you're in the military somewhere who has physical standards, you have uh, PT, you have things like that – They're going to put you on an improvement plan if you're failing, correct? They're going to put you on some kind of procedure that's going to get you out of that. Yes, that That is correct. Okay, so in the workplace where I work, if someone is not performing, they are going to get some poor evaluation. And their supervisor that they report to is going to have a meeting with them, put them on some kind of improvement plan they're going to be given X number of opportunities to improve, or they will be fired at a much later date. I'd say likely around a year or two, something like that. So the thing about it is like, what do you think from a leadership perspective, micromanaging these baby steps means? Because you're, you're not actually solving the problem when you're micromanaging people, you're not giving them that motivation that they need. So for example, if I have a guy in my fraternity uh, who I really want to get into the gym, I ask him to take a jog with me or ask him to go to the gym with me for fun. You know, I'm not going to say, hey, you've gained some weight. You look like shit. Let's go to the gym. It's, it's not, man. You want to go to the gym with me? Uh, let's go work on this, this and this, whatever. I put them on that improvement plan mentally in my mind, but I don't actually tell them what's going on. And I just think that it's problematic because you're not actually empowering them. You know what I mean?
0: So I would disagree with uh, with you not telling them that you want them to improve. Um, Now, there's ways to do it. It can be offensive, right? You have to risk being offensive to see growth in individuals and to see growth uh, in yourself. And so it can be slightly offensive to tell someone you you can't come out right and you can't say, um, you could, but you're not going to be an effective or an efficient leader if you come right out and say, "Hey, dude, you're fat, slow, and stupid. You suck. Get better."
1: No, no. So, so, what I'm so, so you make say so, yeah. again. Go ahead.
0: So, w- what I would suggest to anybody who's struggling with this same issue is make it team oriented. Um, We really undervalue both corporately. Right. So in in private sector, in an IT office, in the military, I think that something that is holistically undervalued uh, in, in American society today is teamwork. Right. And if you make it about the team, we will care. You know, the guy that's underperforming will care. If it's about the team, if you tell him he sucks, guess what, dude? He's probably heard that a million times. Maybe he heard it from his dad. Maybe he heard it from his mother, his teachers. He may have heard it from every step in his life. You're not giving him anything different. So he's part of a team. And and this is going. my next three points that I wanted to talk about with regards to what I tell all my troops. But um, you have to worry into less about, hey, dude, you suck. What the fuck? You can do that with someone you know. But if it's someone you're leading, you have to say, hey, man, you're slowing down the team. What can I do better to help you, to help you grow? Yeah, right? absolutely.
1: And I, I, I do agree with you. Uh, what I, I did not mean to not explicitly state expectations that you have of the team as a whole. But what I meant is you do not point the individual out. So I think that we can come to agreement on that. Because that's what you're talking about. Make it about the team. Set an objective objective that's measurable for everyone to meet collectively. But pretty much what I'm discussing there was like having tact when approaching someone with your expectations individually.
0: Yeah, so praise in public, punish in private. I don't think there should be isolation or ridicule associated with an improvement plan um, because they're still part of the team. You know, and, and teammates don't fuck their buddies, right? So if you're – you can – with a high-performing individual who's maybe having a hiccup in his performance, which we've all had, you can call him out in public. You can be like, yo, dude, what the fuck's going on? You good? And then he'll say, oh, you know, actually – uh, this, that, and the other, you know, and the wife and I are fighting the, uh, my son is sick, something it's called operational risk management and crew, crew resource management, which is basically just, Hey, do you have anything external that's affecting you from operating effectively? If there is something that is effective, affecting you, it's hindering your ability to operate at a high level. Guess what, dude? we have crew resource management, communication. Um, Here is the micro improvement plan for that part of your life. Sometimes now in the military and in the private sector, if you're in a high paced environment, that's going to mean compartmentalization. You're going to have to take your issues, tuck them away, compartmentalize and address them in three hours after the operation is finished or address them in, two days after the rocket launches, because you work at SpaceX, right? Um, these these things are not inherently uh, just only for the military. And I think when you talked about micromanaging, that's a great transition into my next point about um, decentralized command. That one's a tough one because command is a strong word. It's something that is... Uh, almost exclusive to the military and its affiliates. Um, But basically what it means is separate uh, its delegation of responsibility. So anytime during this conversation that I use the term decentralized command, what I'm really talking about is delegation of responsibility. Um, The way that I explain it to my guys, and this is the second thing in the list of four things that I cover with my dudes is I'm going to give you command authority. So how that applies to the civilian world is I'm gonna give you managerial responsibility. If it makes sense, it makes sense. This is gonna help you grow. It's gonna take something off of my plate and it's going to make us overall a more effective team. And so delegation of responsibility. So for example, uh, say you're running a scheduling department and you as the manager in that department are responsible for the day-to-day responsibility. You're responsible for day-to-day operation. But if you're in a managerial position, you might be overseeing another department. You might have other things that you have to be, you you might have to do analysis. There's a plethora of things depending on your industry of that are in addition to your managing that scheduling department. So what you need to do, Uh, I think is empower your guys, teach them what you know, say, here's how you do this. If you were going to run this department, here's how you would do it. That's going to allow those guys to grow. It's going to be able to, you're going to be able to isolate your high performers and to utilize them better and get them the promotions they deserve. And you're also going to be able to identify your low performers so you can designate an improvement plan that's not necessarily derogatory. It might just be, hey, dude, um, there's a grammar course we're going to send you to. There's a communication course we're going to send you to. There's a, a an analytics course. There's, I mean, and it's industry specific. But that's my second point. If you don't mind, I'd like to uh, wrap up my points really quickly in the next few minutes uh, with my final two points. You think you good for me to do that? Sure. Cool. So number three on my list of priorities um, is Show courage in the face of your leaders and show respect in the place in the face of your uh, peers and or subordinates. What does that mean to you? To show courage in the face of your superiors first. Because
1: hmm.
0: it means something different to everyone. Right. Um, so, so,
1: so for me, that means... To be direct and to have, like, a purpose. And by purpose, I mean a direction. So, like, whenever you're talking to your superiors, don't be afraid to pass uh, to pass different ideas up the chain of command. Don't be afraid to not only suggest certain things, but to also ask for them and to also... Make propositions. Don't be afraid to show them that you're there. You know, uh, a lot of people fail to do that, and they they lose their voice doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think you hit fifty percent of the nail on the head. At least fifty percent of what I cover. So I cover that. If something doesn't make sense, that's what I tell my guys. Um, we've established that they're going to be disciplined. We've established that I'm going to give them command authority. Next when I make a stupid decision, tell me if it makes sense. It makes sense. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So when your boss, you know, your direct supervisor, your manager, whatever, um, when he makes he or she makes a decision that just doesn't make sense, have the courage to step up, have the courage to say, well, you know, sir, or ma'am, um, that's going to cause a backlog in logistics, blah, 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 whatever the application is, but be Be ready, be available, have the discipline to be studied up, be knowledgeable and professional, have that tact, and bring it up. And the other side to that coin, um, I, I don't necessarily know how this would apply in the private sector, how this applies to the military. The second half to that coin is in showing courage in the face of your superiors is when you are called upon to execute your goal, right? Say in the military, your job is to deploy You don't know when, you don't know where. When you are called upon, have the courage to maintain the discipline, to have your life in order at home, to have your finances in order, to have your bags packed and ready to go, if that's your job. But have the courage to when they come and they ask you, hey, man, uh, you got to be on a plane in three hours. Can you do it? Yes, yes, I can. That's that takes courage because it takes courage to maintain that discipline all the time. And it's that there's not an inherent gap where there's no leisure time built in. It's just discipline that equals the freedom for you to be able to say, yes, send me. Um, That's that's one half of my third point. That absolutely
1: just just interject real quick. That absolutely applies to the private, the civilian sector, all of these different places, uh, because The people who are willing to say yes to new positions, to new ideas, to new proposals. uh, Maybe you're the go to guy in the company and they're like, hey, man, we really need, we have a new client halfway across the country. We need you on a plane. Let's go. You have to be ready to do that. And not only if it's your job, but if you have it in your mind that you're looking to advance your career and you're looking to take it to the next level increase your pay, gain that flexibility with your finances, which is what most people in these other sectors are looking for. They're not looking for the different kind of uh, the same kind of fulfillment that you all are. Um, Just be the guy that that's always ready to go. Uh, I mean, that's going to pay you dividends no matter where you're at in life, because I have guys from a leadership perspective. I have people who I know I can count on and that pays them dividends. So if I'm like, Hey, I need this task done. I hit up that person who can do it no matter what, no matter if they need to drive an hour down the road, two hours, three hours down the road. I know that when I ask them that they'll do it. So kind of like you said, like always being ready to go. It always pay dividends.
0: Yeah, man, It's, it's important to show that that amount of courage, that amount of discipline, that amount of, uh, the amount of, uh, teamwork involved in that, man, that is invaluable. Um, In the military, there's some limiting factors such as, you know, rank and time and grade and all that stuff. But in the private sector, man, it's truly limitless where you can go with that. If you're the guy that's ready to go, damn, dude, you can go anywhere. You might be, you know, managing a hedge fund when you're 28 years old if you you have that kind of gumption to you. Um, That's a good transition, though, into the second part of that. Um, is the second part is to show respect in the face of your peers and subordinates. Uh, For you, what does that statement mean?
1: The biggest takeaway that I've learned from my experience is to manage the image that you want to portray to your guys. So, you don't want to have too much pride and too little humility. You, you have to have a good mixture there. I think that the biggest thing is, is having humility to those younger guys. And, you know, I think that Jocko talked on this, uh, Jocko Willink, on the Jocko podcast. He said you have to maintain a balance here and you have to expose your vulnerabilities to your guys. First you establish that trust in those personal relationships and then you can expose your vulnerabilities you can offer up, you can have humility. And once they know your vulnerabilities, they're no longer your vulnerabilities because everyone knows them and they're not not your weaknesses anymore because they don't make you feel insecure. So I think to me, you know, the humility is the biggest part.
0: Perfect. Yeah. So the biggest part is humility. Um, If you're, if you don't know the answer to something, if you don't know your immediate actions, what am I supposed to do in this circumstance? Guess what? That's fine. We can remedy that. We can fix that. What we can't fix is if you lie about your inabilities. Right? You get insecure. You lack humility. Now we got bigger issues. We have we got bigger fish to fry, as they say. Right? So um, I, I really I really think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, and the other piece is uh, just don't be a dick. That's what I tell my guys. And (laughs) what I mean by that is, you know, maintain humility. Don't be a dick. Uh, What what that entails is not creating an environment that is – you can joke around, you know, you can fuck around. But when someone's uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable. So don't make anybody uncomfortable, right? And if it's a situation where it's just one person who is being hyper-perceptive to, like, being – I I don't have any better terms than if someone's just being a little bitch, then they're just being a little bitch, right? You can get to the bottom of that. You can figure out why something is. uh, Overall, just don't be a dick. So maintain. Don't be a dick. Uh, My last point on what I brief my guys, and this is my favorite one, is we are a team through your successes and through your failures. We are a team. So if anybody fucks with you, they fuck with me, and nobody fucks with me, right? That's what I tell my guys. I like to build a bravado around these dudes, um, a persona, if you will, of our little. Uh, I've got five guys under me, and uh, it's like a little, a little mob, you know. It's like a little, uh, little family in one of the boroughs. You of can New York, only, uh, you know, you can only and imagine what
1: kind of action I got going on here. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, you guys are—you uh, know—that's the first team that a lot of those guys in, in both the military and in college. Um, when you're talking about fraternities in the military, that's the first team some men have ever been on, um, and women included in the military, but um, and sororities for for the uh, for the universities. But that's the first team guys have ever been on. So if you're not building an environment that's conducive to teamwork, dude, they got a bad taste in their mouth. They get a bad taste in their mouth about teamwork, and that's just not good. That sets them up for failure. They'll never realize their objectives. You know, something I like to to throw in there is uh, so. Have you ever heard of operating in the gray, the gray area?
1: I've heard the expression, but I don't really understand. Uh, for most context, that's what you,
0: I ask all my guys to explain what operating in the gray means. And, and here's how I explain it to them. So how do you get the color gray?
1: Black and white.
0: That's it. What is the black and the white of something? It's the rules, right? Yeah. So to operate in the gray, you have to know the rules. And you better know them well. And uh, I like to use Frank Lucas, the heroine king of Harlem, as my example of explaining the gray. Um No, if there's any military guys listening, they're probably frowning upon my use of a drug kingpin uh, as an analogy in leadership in the military. Uh, But they can get over it because I think it works. So the drug kingpin of Harlem, we're talking actual mobsters. We're talking gangsters in the old sense, right? Gangsters in the old sense, do you think they drive around with a busted taillight?
1: No, because they're going to get pulled over.
0: That's right. So why would you walk around with a fucked up uniform? Why would you do anything, regardless of your regardless of where you're at? We're gangsters, baby. Why would you drive around with a busted taillight? Why would you walk around with a shitty uniform? Why would you misrepresent yourself in, in public by, you know, being unprofessional and getting leadership's attention? So getting the you know, as the analogy goes, why would you get the feds on you? Why would you do that? You wouldn't. Right. Not only so leadership
1: get, goes, I mean, it's it's not only your impression on leadership, but perception is everything. And the way that yeah. people see you is the way that you are. So uh, in the military, I mean, if you're wearing a sloppy uniform or, you know, you're a guy, I mean, I'm not sure if this is a regulation, but, you know, you have a beard and you're wearing your uniform out and you don't have any kind of waiter, waivers and things like that. Um, I know that I've seen some mess about that online like on the internet or I mean even if you're one of my fraternity guys and you're out uh drinking in public and just uh, acting a fool and you're wearing our insignia like our letters and things like that uh and you're identifying yourself with us as a whole the team and you're just making an ass out of everyone
0: yeah dude why would you fuck the team like that why would you why would you drive around with a bus to tell you. why would you you know wear the uh wear your fraternity's letters and throw a couch through a through the mayor's window right Like that, that's crazy probably wouldn't happen but why would you do that you wouldn't
1: probably so would i tell my
0: guys yeah right i tell my guys though um that we're fucking gangsters and we need to behave as such so we need to operate in the gray a lot of guys here operating in the gray um, if you're not familiar with the term, it's typically used in the military um, and in other communities that are associated with um, defense industry, basically. Um, if you're operating in the gray and you don't know the black and the white, guess what, dude? You're not effectively operating in the gray. If if there's rules to follow, follow the rules. Know, because in knowing the rules, you know how to break them. You know when to break them. You know the reasons to break them and sometimes you can save lives whether in the moment or future lives that would have been taken you can save lives by breaking the rules and that's that's you can apply operating in the gray to when um you get a phone call from a higher up and it's just a stupid phone call um, that's telling you to do something that's either gonna cost lives of your your buddies or cost lives of civilians or just something stupid call knock it off operate in the gray know the black and the white and say fuck that we're going to do this the right way right and so i think that is one of the most important tenets that i teach my guys is dude to operate in the gray you got to know the black and the white if you don't know the black and the white like the back of your hand then you'll never effectively operate in the gray because the second you're called out for it and you don't have a reason you lose all your credibility And like you said, perception is reality. And if you're perceived as a guy who isn't credible, then guess what you are? Not credible. (laughs) You know? Makes sense. Yeah, brother. But those those are the four tenets that I teach to all my guys. Um, I, I do have a question for you, man. Shoot. So we've covered some of the biggest challenges that I have leading young dudes. What is the... What are some of the biggest challenges you have in leading college-age males in a fraternity?
1: Okay, so this is kind of a broad range here because my experience, uh, a wide age range, they can be 17 to 24, anywhere in that age range. So I have to handle each person case to case. The biggest challenge that I've had
0: Yeah, whether individual or uh, as a group.
1: Yeah, that's difficult. Um, I think probably instilling the type of discipline that's required for these things to run effectively, uh, instilling that into these guys because because it's, it's difficult to teach someone how to be disciplined. It's difficult to pass that on to them. But I've found a lot of success in – Uh, I've, I've been known in my younger years as a leader to kind of bully people like hard nose and like get in their face, things like that, criticize them. Uh, instead, I think the best way is likely to just lead by example. Um, just be there, be a part of the team. Don't be the person leading the pack. Stay beside of everyone. Uh, don't be afraid to, to do things, you know, have the humility to do the, Tasks that, you know, the lower level guys should be doing. Don't be afraid to do those things. Show them that you'll do it and that's meaningful and they'll end up coming back for that. But yeah, like I said, getting them to care about the mission, so to speak, is probably the hardest part.
0: Yeah, a lot of people think that when you, so in the military, when you make rank or um, for a fraternity, when you become the president, a lot of people that enter those roles assume that your responsibility diminishes. But really, you are now tasked with doing all the day-to-day procedures that the uh, pledges, that the members, the brothers in the fraternity, that the the young guys, the young enlisted dudes do. A lot of people think those abilities or or, or those skills just go away. And now you're a leader. So you do what a leader does. To effectively lead, you have to effectively follow, which means you have to be able to execute that as good, if not better than your guys, or else you lose that credibility.
1: Right. And that's not the the least of my worries is the clerical day to day duties. That is the very least of my worries. I can knock those things out. The hardest part for me is bearing the burden of leadership. The hardest thing is taking it on the chin, taking other people's failure on my chin always being the, the person who's willing to step up and take those blows and um, to be the person who's there for people when they're down and out, no matter what. I think that that's been the most difficult transition for me because I'm no longer a part of this team. I'm the moving force. I am the person that people rely on. And, you know, it's a difficult transition. You know, I've, I've fallen into leadership positions all the way throughout life pretty much just because I'm a loud outspoken person. But uh, this has been the first one that's been meaningful where I can really impact people's lives and having the power to impact people positively or negatively. That's a big burden to carry on your back, which I'm not complaining. It's awesome. It's great. It's super rewarding, but it can also be a huge source of negativity to yourself when other people are letting you down. (laughs)
0: Okay, so my next question would be since you spoke about when people let you down, what has been your biggest, your single biggest failure as a leader and as a follower?
1: I think the follower part is extremely easy. I'm a poor listener. Um, I'm set in my ways, I know what works for me. So I assume that it works for everyone else. Um, so I have a hard time listening. I'm a bit impatient at times. So in terms of following, I would advise to always be patient and to keep your ears open and listen to these new ideas. And as a leader, I felt a lot, leaders felt a lot all the time, every day. But as a leader, I have, likely incurred my biggest failure just being too critical of others and expecting them again I mean I don't want to be repetitive here but expecting them to maintain the same standards that I do for myself expecting them to to study when they're tired and to not make excuses it's not realistic to think those things
0: yeah, it's funny you say that that's your biggest failure as a leader because that's That's precisely my biggest failure. Um, I, I, I wasn't born knowing to forgive your guys. That's why my first thing that I preach in leadership is forgive your guys' past transgressions, right? Um, <laughs> I judged – I had a guy who, at face value, was not good for the team. But realistically, when I looked, when I took a step back and I took ownership, I realized I was not giving him the appropriate level of authority. I was not giving him the ability to grow. I was giving him no ability to, you know, make amends for the things he had done for, you know, failed PT test, failing to meet standards, stuff like that. So I was hindering him. I was hindering my team. And overall, I was hindering my own my own self because I'm a firm believer there are no bad teams. There are only bad leaders. So um, that was my single biggest failure is I had a guy. uh, I still actually have the guy and I I just judged him so harshly. Uh, And I'm still a relatively new leader, but I feel like I've grown so much um, through this individual. I won't name him, but um, yeah, through this, this individual, I've grown so much in leading this guy because When I found out, like when I found the uh, I read enough about leadership and I found the willpower to forgive this guy, I grew so much as a leader and a follower. Um, So it's funny that we both have uh, totally unplanned, uh, have the same exact faults as a leader and judging someone too harshly.
1: We shared a room for 17 years, so I think that some personality traits are going to carry over here even though it's been years and we've had completely different experiences i think that you know a lot of these things have been beaten into our brains especially the negative parts yeah yeah ain't
0: that the truth yeah
1: those things tend to reside but yeah man that's crazy
0: do you have uh, any more leadership questions you want to pose to me that branch off these? Um, this isn't going to be our final leadership discussion. Obviously, I'd like to isolate some. Uh, you, We've talked about this uh, amongst ourselves on the phone uh, about isolating specific chapters of, say, David Goggins book or or some of Jocko Willing's material. But isolating that material and really doing a deep dive on those chapters episode by episode. Um, but in relation to kind of like a, what I would call an introduction to leadership for our listeners, um, uh, introduction to our version of leadership, at least, do you have any more questions?
1: No, man, I think that that was perfect. I think that it was just deep enough. And like I said, I just wanted to build a foundation for our beliefs. And I'm changing every day. I'm always growing, always learning new ideas and new things so my ideas on leadership are always subject to change these are just the foundations that i've built as a leader so far and i'm excited to go deep into this but i think that this is a great start
0: hell yeah dude you want to jump into some current events
1: yeah sure what do you got
0: all right so i have a question for you um is You're aware of the song Africa by Toto, right?
1: Yeah, I bless the rains. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: that one. So I'm assuming it's made its popular sweep across college, right? Of course. So in the military, it's a fucking huge song. You put that song on. I I listen to it nearly every day, admittedly. Um, but and, And I think a lot of guys do in the military. Uh, especially if you've been to Africa. It's a beautiful country, beautiful people. Um, it's sad the poverty they live in, but <clears throat> that's present in any developing uh, country, much less a developing continent. Uh, so it's sweeping a pop, across pop culture. A guy, uh, an artist, created a, uh, a a monument, is what I'll call it. But well, this dude erected a uh, art installation that will play Africa by Toto in a loop for all eternity in the desert.
1: That's fucking awesome. How far out yeah. in the desert is that? That's great. Hold on. Just, just, just for reference here, I have my pledge here. Just listening to my end of the podcast, <laughs> and uh, I'm just I'm just gonna ask him how many times have you played Toto about Africa in the last week? Four or, five times. Four or five times. Yeah, man, it's making its rounds. That shit's spreading like <laughs> yeah. wildfire.
0: Yeah, which is crazy because it's decades old. I mean, it's from far before when we were born in the '90s. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was probably 20 years old when we were born. Um, <laughs> anyway, he's a uh, the guy who erected it. His name is uh, I might butcher this name, but his name is Max Sayadintov. Sa- yeah, Sayedintov. Uh He's a Namibian German uh, artist, and he put the he erected this thing in the namib desert in is uh in the coastal areas of namibia and it's six speakers attached to an mb3 that only has one song on it and that's toto's africa uh so <laughs> the song is put on a loop and the installation runs on solar batteries and it's going to keep it going for what we can only assume all of eternity or until one of the speakers gives out or the mp3 uh kills itself but yeah I thought that was interesting. He's only 27.
1: What an achievement for someone who hasn't even hit 30 yet. And I thought that I was (laughs) on my way to greatness. That's awesome.
0: Uh, So actually looking at it, the song was released in the 80s. So it was 1982. uh, And it topped Spotify's throwback songs list uh, in 2018. So that might have something to do with it. with it coming back and they had a recent cover by Weezer which uh, have you heard the Weezer version I
1: actually have not no
0: it's not bad dude Um, it's a little heavier on the instrumentals but it's uh, overall Weezer did pretty well which I thought everyone in Weezer was dead apparently not still a band so uh, they did a sweet cover of that it's not too bad if you're a fucking Africa by Toto purist you hate it but uh, I love it
1: yeah next banger playing
0: it yeah it's it's funny because the dude didn't tell anybody where this is i'm looking at the picture right now it's just a bunch of sand dunes and then a couple platforms a couple like uh, solid white platforms with an mp3 and a couple speakers so somewhere in the Namibian desert and the coastal regions uh you can find africa by toto playing on a uh, on a loop
1: you know what i have to say about that What Goon. That guy's a goon.
0: Fucking goony, man. That dude owns all of Namibia now. If he's not the Namibian president, I'm going to start a coup in their own country just to get him as the dictator of Namibia.
1: I don't think we should talk about toppling and overthrowing anyone's government. I think that that's that's a little far.
0: Dude, that'll take us into the next uh, current event. We may have to go topple Arizona state government uh, in order to secure the 3,500 gallons of chocolate that spilled on the Arizona highway on I-40 here recently. A uh, truck crashed, and this one, it was in Flagstaff, which uh, my family and I, we actually took a vacation. I don't know if you remember me sending you pictures to Flagstaff, which is already beautiful. I can only imagine this upped the property value. It, it's essentially like, uh, you know, those giant tanks that look like they carry gas.
1: 18
0: mm-hmm. wheelers. Yeah. One of those, this dude, uh, he had a <clears throat> fender bender, uh, punctured his tank and spilled 3,500 gallons of chocolate onto I-40.
1: But would you eat it off the ground, though?
0: How much would I have to pay you?
1: Oh, me? Nothing. Nothing, nothing <laughs> at all. I mean, like I would just do it for the for fun, like for a picture or something like that. Like I don't know. I I really, I mean, I licked dog shit for five dollars when I was in fourth grade. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's funny, man. I remember that. Was it white dog shit? Yeah,
1: it was. Just like Step
0: Brothers. <laughs> <clears throat> no, that predated Step Brothers. So I feel like. You told that story when we moved towns. Uh, you told that story, and then it somehow made its way to Hollywood, and Will Ferrell stole your joke. So, uh,
1: Never liked that guy anyway.
0: <laughs> hey,
1: dude,
0: <clears throat> speaking of being younger, do you like hide-and-seek? Like the game hide-and-seek?
1: I've never really played.
0: Well, a Michigan man played, and uh, – he was playing in an abandoned Detroit factory. Uh, he died. They say he fell down an ev- elevator shaft in an abandoned factory.
1: Huh. I really, <laughs> I really, I really don't know what to say. Besides the fact, who was he hiding from? Number one. <laughs> what?
0: Apparently, uh, the co-founder of the. Of the people that own the building, they said they're quoted as saying it's really hard to keep people out that want to get in. So maybe there's a secret about this factory.
1: That's kind of savage, though. Like, I'm gonna be honest. If I'm in a warehouse or something, like the worst thing I'm gonna do is like get on a lift or like climb some scaffolds. I'm definitely not going to the elevator shaft. Who in the hell? That's just. Nah, bro, if I'm
0: playing, I'm going on the woods. <laughs>
1: I don't know, man. Well, R.I.P.
0: No. Yeah, uh, I'll give you a dollar if you can guess how old this dude was. He's a grown man. He's, he's a man. So, of manly age. 47. No, dude, he was 21. What the fuck?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I thought for whatever reason when you first was telling that story that he was an 86-year-old man. I thought you said that.
0: no dude um he probably feels like he's 86 uh you know broken back and all
1: yeah wow that is crazy (laughs) that is crazy
0: yeah uh speaking of california we were talking about it earlier we were bragging on it or at least i was bragging on it about how it's like the best state in the union it's a hidden gem all that shit i was saying uh, I've lost faith in California because a California cat uh, <clears throat> has now moved into a fifteen hundred dollar a month studio apartment mm. in San wow. Jose. But apparently, they split it in a few cats. So
1: a cat's apartment is twice my rent. Nice. On that note, it's. it's- <laughs>
0: Yeah, the, one lady. Uh, <clears throat> there's a CEO of a uh, something called Destination Home, uh, which, um, from reading this article, I assume they house uh, homeless people and try and get people back into their back into homes if they're homeless. Uh, she goes, "While this story is funny, it really does highlight the tremendous inequity in the Silicon Valley. We have thousands of people on our streets, and we're paying to make sure that our cats have a place to live."
1: I really don't know what to say about that. I don't sensitive topic, I think. But, you know, people are going to do what they want to do with their money. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: people are weird out here. That's one thing. California is definitely weird. Um, I know myself personally, I'm going to dedicate all of my disposable income. I'm going to withdraw my investment accounts uh, in order to secure a swanky apartment for my Two year old blue healer named Blue.
1: Nice. I mean, I don't know. I'd rather have an apartment full of pussy.
0: <laughs> I was waiting for that one. I was trying to get, I was trying to think of a joke, like get that pussy off the streets, you know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We're like mansplaining or something.
0: Well, dude, let's wrap this up with a little read. Talked about, uh, California and all of its, uh, <clears throat> all of its, uh, attractions, it's 25% tax, which fucking sucks. Um, we talked heavy into leadership, which I think is a great, uh, a great breakaway from the MMA that we had in episode one, um, <clears throat> which, uh, I expect Saturday to dive a little deeper into that one. Um, what can the people, the listeners expect from future episodes, uh, in the coming weeks?
1: So we have a lot of fights coming up soon. We have UFC, I think it's 233 coming up. No, that one got canceled. Uh, so we got Bellator 214, and then we have the UFC Fight Night, which is on ESPN Plus now, so I don't even know if it's called Fight Night. But uh, we have the ESPN Plus card coming up with Shaw and Cejudo. So we're going to recap on all of our calls for that fight. And I just expect to dive deeper into our conversations about leadership. And also the one that I'm most excited about is the big question. Should you join the military? Because that's something that obviously I'm asking myself as I'm transitioning out of college and applying to officer training school. And uh, yeah, man, I think that that's an exciting question that a lot of people have. So.
0: And if if any of our listeners out there right now have a question they want to submit to this podcast, you can go to, if you're listening on Apple or Google Podcasts or Spotify even, if you're listening on any of those places, go to anchor.fm and listen there, and you'll be able to submit a voice message to this podcast. So if you have a question, um, you can leave your name or you can do it uh, anonymous. We will play your question live, and then I will answer that question. Uh, and the question can be about anything, leadership, life, uh, <clears throat> basically anything you're interested in. Go to anchor.fm and submit us a voice message, and we'll answer it live. Uh, get you a little shout-out on your Twitter if uh, that's what you're into as well. Um, yeah, and in, in, in future episodes, this weekend, something I'd like to do, uh, something we're, we're talking about. I'm going to read an excerpt from... Uh, Martin Luther King's, a letter from Birmingham jail. We'll talk a little bit about his accomplishments and how far, um, it, just basically what we have to thank him for, uh, today in our own society. Um, so we'll, we'll save that for Saturday. We'll jump into that, uh, future episodes being, you know, should I join the military, uh, travel tips, uh, a whole plethora uh, of things, but we are, uh, about an hour and 15 minutes into this thing, uh, Why don't you have a good night, Tyler?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was great talking to you, and I'm looking forward to talking again, man.
0: Awesome. Thanks, brother. This has been Overtly Casual, hosted by myself, Dak, and my brother, Tyler. You can catch us every Saturday wherever you find podcasts.